Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and this week I am not joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin is out of the office. Um, I don't know where he is. He's somewhere on the continent of North America. But beyond that, I don't believe I have received disclosure to say where he is. So we're going to let that simmer. We're going to breeze right past that. Um, As I was sitting here thinking, boy, I am by myself. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. It's July 26th. And, um, you know, in the off season, there's just not a whole lot of news about anything. And um, about 11 o'clock as I'm, you know, thinking. I'm not really worried too much about what I'm going to talk about. I asked for mailbag questions and got a ton of them. And, you know, it's it's work time. I have a, a, a real job. And uh, I was sitting there thinking, what am I going to talk about? And then, you know, comes across my feed that aliens might be real. I'm like, boy, that seems noteworthy. And then like three hours later, Colorado joins the Big 12. I mean, it's not official, but when Brett McMurphy puts his name on it, it feels pretty official. And uh, then I got like 20 mailbag questions. And it got to the point where I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to be able to speak for an hour straight. Because usually Dustin and I are here together to uh, bounce things off of each other. Um, and then we end up talking way too long on our own. And so as I was sitting here thinking, boy, what am I going to talk about? My agenda was made for me. And I think, I mean, there's there's no other place to start other than the bombshell news of the day in that it would appear that Colorado is headed back to the Big 12 after a decade plus out west in the Pac-12. And, you know, there's a reason I've kept that old home field ad in. If you've noticed, I was ready. I, I knew this day was coming. And I think a lot of people thought it was coming, but maybe didn't know when. And, um, you know, the domino falls on, on you know, it would appear July 27th, tomorrow, Thursday. So if you're listening to this this morning um, in a uh, Board of Regents meeting. And um, I think the story here for me is, one, just the job. I think it's three things. Brett Yormark has simply done an unbelievable job of steadying the tide and making the Big 12 a viable conference, not just today, not just for the next couple of years, but for the absolute foreseeable future and to the point where, in my second point, I think that there's more coming. And I don't have a source on this. I don't have people I can call that Brett McMurphy does. But there are rumblings that it may not be Arizona. It may not be Arizona State. And it's probably not a Four Corners school, but by the end of this week, there might be a school join the Big 12 that's not Colorado and is not a Four Corners school and is in the Pac-12. That surprises some folks. I should give credit uh, to the reporter that said that, who's done an unbelievable job. Let me find 
Jason Shear at Jason Shear is the name. Um, his tweet about two hours ago, I'm recording at 6.50. He said, Colorado is likely to move within the next 48 hours. Also, there's another school in the Pac-12 beyond the rumored four corners that will surprise people and is seriously contemplating a jump to the Pac-12. Jason, you know, with all the Stuart Mandels of the world, with all the, you know, uh, Calzanos of the world who have been uh, carrying the Pac-12's water, Jason has been uh, vocally um, transparent about the possibility and maybe the likelihood that Colorado was looking to move. And so I'm sure he's having a great day, hopefully a cold one if he chooses to partake uh, in celebration of this day for him. But the fact of the matter is, back to my original point, if that's the case, Brett Yormark deserves, as I got a question later, I'll, I'll give credit to the person who asked it, the Travis Ford contract. I mean, it's hard to think of a better start to his tenure. And let's say that your mark goes and pulls a Washington, for example, who, if I was to guess, I think it would be them. If he were able to go pull them out of the PAC 12, I, I, I think you're going to see Oregon potentially want to follow. And then at that point, does the PAC 12 put all the cards on the table and say, we're, we're toast. And the big 12 is, you know, they're in the position of power. So it's an absolutely fascinating situation, and I think in the near term, um, you know, Colorado doesn't do a whole lot for me. I, I said this on a podcast a few weeks ago. I don't even think Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, will be the coach at Colorado by the time they join the Big 12. That could be as soon as two years from now, and I still would believe that. Um, I just don't believe in the experiment up there. Um, but the fact of the matter is the Big 12 is uh, – they were first to the table in this media rights landscape. Um, you know, the line was that they jumped the line, so to speak, and that's not the way it works. There is no ticket system in conference realignment. OU and Texas were first to it. You can fault them all you want, but they were first to it. And the Big 12 played a similar card, not necessarily in the, you know, higher, you know, outside council speak through NDAs and back channels, but the thing that the Big 12 was able to do was get their deal done first. And it has put the Pac-12 and the Pac-12's leadership in a position of of really zero recourse. Just last week at Pac-12 Media Days, there were several lines that, you know, they're just not worried about it. You know, George Kliakov uh, believed that there was really no reason to be concerned and that everybody's content in the conference that they were in. Um you know, and even the the actual quote is more damning than that. So it makes you wonder really what's gone on over the last several months. But we may never know. But to wrap this point up, um, Colorado joining the Big Twelve to me is a story of what comes next. And I I think all bets are off. I I think it's the next domino in this realignment. But I would I would guess that there are many many more that follow. And you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see members of other conferences join the big 12 and additionally i'll put this out there i would not be surprised to see a member of the big 12 at some point leave for say the sec the big 10 if it were a fit um i really do believe that this is the next step in a long evolution of resetting the college football landscape so you know dustin and i don't get to talk about 
you know, realignment and the business side of things as much as uh, we could. And I think it's probably for good reason. We'd never end up getting anything done on this podcast, but it truly is the breaking news of the day. And as I'm, (laughs) maybe it's not the breaking news of the day. As I am sitting here, I am seeing a tweet from at Matt Prem, P-R-E-H-M, writing for the 24-7 Ducks Beat. Um, There is a tweet. I don't know what this means. But it's the University of Oregon Executive Audit and Governance Committee of the Board of Trustees will hold a meeting Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, and it was scheduled at the very last minute. I don't think that Oregon's joining the Big 12. I really don't. But it would not be the craziest thing that's happened in college football over the last several years. Um, Enough on that. I'll be curious to see what others think of Colorado joining the Big 12. Be sure to hit us up on that. Uh, I mentioned aliens earlier. At some point, I might talk about this. Um, I'll, I'll talk about that later in the podcast. Before we get into unexplained aerial phenomena, let's, uh, talk about some other news of the week really quickly. I won't go into as much detail as we historically go through mainly because it's uh, really, really challenging to do so just on your own, but I'm going to hit the high notes here and then again, get to our, our dozens of literally, of mailbag questions this week, which I'm very excited to. Uh, but Coach Tim Rattay, the quarterback coach for Oklahoma State, just a couple of days ago, tweeted out something interesting. And Dustin and I have talked a lot about Oklahoma State's quest for a quarterback and the likely quest of a quarterback in the 2024 class. And anytime a position coach tweets a cryptic emoji, cryptic gif which we got in this case, we got a very blurry photo of Pistol Pete. It looked like maybe a rainy night taken through a you know Motorola razor and not one of the new ones. So it, maybe we get coached a better graphic, but I think that Oklahoma State's got a quarterback coming in. That's the way I read that. And if I had to guess, I don't want to steal Dustin's thunder, but he's been all over this for a long time. I do believe that Maya Leuiaki Smith, and I could have butchered that, and I may have crushed it. We may never know. I do believe that he's going to be a cowboy here pretty soon. Um, I don't have any inside scoop on that, but I do know that the commitment was not impending, but was coming soon, you would think. It felt like it was down to Oklahoma State and BYU for a long time. Again, I have not heard anything concrete, but if I was to guess, that's who that's about. And if it's not, I have no idea what to tell you. And it makes it very interesting. So M. Smith, uh, 6'4", 200 pounds from Junipero Cerro, California, and a really interesting prospect. Mobile, but not you know, with the Spencer Sanders or even, you know, Taylor Cornelius top end speed, uh, a really good arm looks to uh, be pretty accurate. So an interesting prospect, high three star. And again, had had offers from several power five schools. Um, and I, I think that Oklahoma State's not just in a good spot here, but it's probably pretty likely to see a commitment here within you know, a reasonable time period coming up within the next week or so. So we'll keep an eye out on that. And hopefully by the time Dustin returns back uh, on the podcast, we'll be able to talk about a commitment from M. Smith. Um, A couple of basketball, well, one basketball note, two baseball notes. 
I don't think Dustin and I got to talk about this, and if we did, I don't remember it, but bear with me as I have two kids. So uh, the Oklahoma State basketball schedule came out just last week, and I do believe it came out after we recorded, and this was a really interesting one to look at and talk about uh, because it's the first year that there's not going to be a double round robin, and I don't know about you guys, I'm I was ready. I was ready for a change of pace in a breakneck conference slate. I mean, the fact that Oklahoma State strung together five straight wins last year during the conference slate, I know four of them were conference and one was non-conference, but still feels like if you're not Kansas or Baylor, it feels like a miracle to be able to accomplish that. And I don't even know if this schedule is much easier, but Oklahoma State you know, secures a home-and-home with BYU, Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma, and Texas Tech. They will play at home only against Baylor, West Virginia, TCU, and Central Florida. So if I'm looking at this, Baylor, a team that Oklahoma State has struggled against, uh, you know, they obviously went down to Waco a couple of years ago and beat them when they were number one on their own court. But outside of that, it's a team that Oklahoma State has struggled against Um, I know they beat them in the Cade Cunningham era as well, but you get them at home. You don't have to go to Waco. Additionally, you don't have to go to Morgantown. And additionally, and I think probably with a deep exhale from Mike Boynton, you don't have to go to Fort Worth because Fort Worth is the only place that Mike Boynton has not won on the road yet, which is an astounding thing to think about when, you know, going into his eighth year, Oklahoma State has not won in Fort Worth in seven years. The last time they won there was Brad Underwood's year. That was the Jawan Evans step back. Um, I remember where I was during that game, as a matter of fact. So uh, it's been a long time coming to uh, not have to play that game. And then Central Florida, I actually think is a tough draw here because you would have liked to get that as the lone road game because I think Central Florida is going to probably come in in the preseason poll as the last team in this conference. Um, I think they're going to struggle to adjust. Um, and then lastly, I think Oklahoma State's away schedule is an absolute buzzsaw. And I, I don't mean that in a good way. You've got Houston, you've got Texas, you've got Iowa State, and then Cincinnati all on the road, not coming to your place. So if I was leaning towards anything on this schedule, this leans toward the tougher side. I think it's a difficult draw. Um, because I think you look at the, the home and away, not the home and home, but just home and away, I think that skews heavily towards your away slate being more difficult than your home slate. So a really interesting one. If I had to look at that, I mean, I, I still see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, maybe nine. 10 if you get lucky. I mean, I I think this is a team that's going to be squarely on the bubble by the end of the year. And it's not a place that Mike Boynton's probably going to want to be. They're probably going to want to be much more comfortably in the field. But as I'm looking at this conference schedule, I just don't see a path to, you know, an 11 and 7, 12 and 6 type of record unless unless this team overachieves. And that's going to take, you know, a Javon Small going nuts, Brandon Garrison being better than we thought as a freshman. Um, you know, guys like, uh, you know, the, the um, transfer from North Florida, uh, I, I forget his name, I wanted to say Anthony Hickey, and that's not right, um, Hicklin, 
Hicklin is his last name. Um, regardless, it's going to take a lot of guys to step up to make that happen. So uh, an interesting one with the schedule there. Two quick baseball notes before we get into the mailbag. Um, this was one that we've been looking at for a little while and talking about as the MLB draft came down to a close and, and all the guys that are drafted, uh, you know, attempt to negotiate their deal. Rock Riggio was the last member of the Oklahoma State draftee class to sign. And there were some thoughts that maybe he wouldn't sign. And uh, I got a text from buddy of mine and friend of the podcast, Joel Penfield, that, you know, it it wasn't the best deal potentially and, you know, maybe not the best uh, landing spot for him. I don't keep up with minor league baseball as much as I could or should. But Rock Riggio, nonetheless, signs with the New York Yankees. And, you know, I think obviously, number one, congratulations to him. I feel like uh, Rock with the New York Yankees is a match made in heaven, if I'm just being totally honest. And if he gets to the bigs, which I really think he's got the tools to do so, uh, is he not going to be just an absolutely perfect fit in New York? I mean, the only other place I could see him fitting better is like the Savannah Bananas. I, I really don't know of a better place for him, truly. So, you know, we're happy for him here. Um, disappointed for Oklahoma State as, you know, now shifted to them. They've got questions to answer with Marcus Brown also being drafted. I mean, there are there is a problem in the middle infield for Oklahoma State. We'll save the rest of that conversation for when Dustin returns. And the last note I had before getting into the mailbag this week, uh, we've talked about this quite a bit, actually, is the potential for additions on the OSU baseball coaching staff. And no, Doug Gottlieb did not end up taking the role like I had suggested last week. Uh, But nonetheless, I do believe that Oklahoma State's made a good move here. They actually today on Wednesday announced two uh, new members of the coaching staff. Mark Ginter, Ginter, I, I forgive me whichever pronunciation that is, and Victor Romero, both guys should ring a bell. Ginter returns to Stillwater. Uh, this is from the release. After spending the last five years as an assistant coach at West Virginia, he was an uh, infielder for the Cowboys from 2009 to 2012 and was actually previously on staff from 2015 to 18. So some familiarity there. And the familiarity does not stop there as Victor Romero, you know, a more recent Cowboy name, uh, played two seasons for the Cowboys in 2012 and 2013, but has been around the program in various roles for the last seven years in a full-time role, but most recently was director of baseball operations for the last several. So uh, two really interesting additions. And, you know, I got to think that the continuity is a, a big addition there, a big bonus. And um, what I really like about bringing Ginther is and he, is that he's been at a program in West Virginia that's on the rise. Um, I don't know how sustainable it is. When I think of West Virginia, I don't necessarily think baseball. But nonetheless, they have had some sustained success and growth as a program during his time there. And uh, I think a lot of Cowboy fans would welcome some sustained growth uh, over the next several years. So uh, just a really quick note on that. But, uh, you know, great news on the Cowboy baseball front as they welcome two new assistant coaches. Let's pause. I'm going to get a sip of water. I haven't talked to this much in a long time. And we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. 
All right. Let's get into it. Um, you guys have had two days to get questions in. I sent the tweet out a little bit earlier knowing I could use a little help from my friends on this week's podcast. So thank you in advance because I think it's got to be close to, if not the most, uh, mailbag questions, you know, listener questions that we've ever had. I don't believe that I have any audio questions. I'll take a quick peek at that. Uh, I do not. So I'll go ahead and get right into it. This is from Twitter from Sam Aldrich at Real Sam Aldrich. If Bowman starts in 2023 and 2024, give us a quick start bench cut, quick start bench cut for 2025 QB room between Garrett Rangel, Zane Flores, and hypothetically M. Smith. This is a fantastic question, Sam. Um, And I I love a, a good game like this. And if it was me... And I, I do believe I have, uh, I think I make sense here, and I, I would be really curious to hear Dustin's slant on it. But if I was going to cut one, it would probably be, God, this is so tough. If I was going to cut one, it would probably be M. Smith. Only because he has, you know, he will have had the least amount of time in the program. I think Oklahoma State. If you had Bowman for 2023 and 2024, he would be the one that I would want to lose more so than Rangel or Zane Flores, or Flores rather. And I would, golly, this is tough. I would start Rangel and I would bench Flores. I mean, I I think that Flores is eventually going to be the starting quarterback at Oklahoma State. I actually, if if I had to give you my gut feel today, is that he will probably beat Rangel out at some point in his career, but it seems like Rangel has progressed a lot. So that's a really, you know, just kind of, it's out there. Like, I, I don't have anything to go off of other than my gut. Um, but that would be the way I would stack those three up. And additionally, as I said a couple of weeks ago, if Oklahoma State can figure out a way to keep Alan Bowman in for the next two years, that all of a sudden, not just this year, but next year, as the offensive line continues to grow up, your skill talent is still pretty young. Your defense, especially in the secondary, is young. 2024 starts to shape up to be not an eight-win season, but like one of those 10 to 11 wins if everything falls right types of years, which rarely happens. Things don't fall right. People get injured, as we saw this last year. I think 2022 was shaping up to be an 11-win year, and uh, we saw how that went. So, Sam, thanks for the question, man. Here's one from Flash, at Ryan Flaspolar. Which non-conference game is a bigger trap game for OSU this year, at Arizona State or South Alabama at home? And he points out that South Alabama went 10-3 and last year, including a one-point loss on the road to UCLA. I actually, I think if Dustin were here, I don't want to speak for him, but I think he would probably say South Alabama. And I don't disagree that that's a trap game. It's probably the trappiest of the games between the two, but I think Arizona State's going to be a sneaky tough game. I don't think that Oklahoma State's going to lose that game necessarily, but it's game two of the year. It's a blackout in Tempe, it's probably going to be rocking a little bit, especially if by the time we get there, Arizona State's got a little juice to join the Big 12. Who knows how that ends up going? But I do think that that's going to be a little bit more of a challenging game than some may be giving it credit for. Again, Oklahoma State didn't exactly roll over Arizona State in Stillwater this last year with a better team. So I'm 
I'm not thinking that's a, a loss by any means. But South Alabama is the trap game of the two. But just watch out for that Arizona State game. That's how I feel. Um, Connor at underscore at me next time says way too early O-line too deep. And you know Dustin's our boy on this. But if I had to give it my best whirl, and I I hope I make him proud with this, I'm going to go, I'm going to give you my starting. How about that? I'm not going to go too deep. I'll go left tackle starting Dalton Cooper. I'll go left guard Jason Brooks. I'll go center with Joe Mahalski. I'll go right guard with Preston Wilson. And right tackle, I'll go with Jake Springfield today. That's the way I would expect it to go. But you've got guys like, you know, Austin Kowecki who are pushing um, for time, I would think. Um, There's others without the roster sitting right in front of me um, and Dustin's huge O-line brain to bounce this off of. That's the way I would see the starting depth playing out. Um, Here's one from E. Clymer at E.K. Clymer. Heard on another pod that will remain nameless that this may be John Smith's last season. Have you heard any similar rumors? I have not personally heard any other rumors. Um, It's really probably a question for our guy Lee at Dynasty Defined. Friend of the podcast has done a great job. Has been on this podcast before. Um, It would not shock me. But it would be a very surprising day in Stillwater. It's almost like, you know, Bob Stoops in, in Norman retiring, not to bring them into the conversation, but that, that would be the way that that would surprise me, um, just to have a generational name like that uh, retire. I could see it, though. Oklahoma State Wrestling has slipped. I don't think there's any question about it. Um, but the question is, is John Smith the guy to get it back on track? I think it's a great question to ask. Thanks for the question. Question from Coach Michael Doty at Mike underscore Doty. He says, a true summer question. What are your top five Mike Gundy best coaching seasons during his time at OSU? I'll give you mine first, and then I'll give uh, Mike, so that way you kind of hear him in the order that I attempted to do this. So I put 2015 as my number one, and I think the reasons are abundant You had a brand-new quarterback, true sophomore in Mason Rudolph, who played, you know, a borderline All-American season in his, you know, true sophomore season. Had no offensive line to speak of, no running game. A defense that wasn't even really very good um, and won 10 games. And I I would challenge anybody to show me a, a better season in the Gundy era than that. Not necessarily in terms of accomplishment, but that had to have been, if not one, then a top two coaching performance for Mike Gundy. Because if I think back on it, that was a seven-win roster, eight wins max. I mean, they squeezed out. If you remember, think back to that. J.W. Walsh was their running game. They could not score in the red zone because they couldn't run the ball. So they were forced to bring J.W. Walsh in on goal line situations. That worked sometimes, but it was a key reason for why they won 10 games. I mean, I I think back to the game on the road against West Virginia. I think back to the Alamo Bowl. Um, Yeah, huge reason why why they won. Uh, Actually, the Alamo Bowl would have been 2016. I think 2015 would have been the year that they played Ole Miss in the Sugar Bowl, I think. And that was not a great game. So 
regardless, that's my number one. Moving a little quicker through the two through five, I'll go 2008 for obvious reasons at number two. I'll go 2021 for number three. I I felt like that roster was not brimming with talent. Um, I felt like the defense was just so, so, so good that it could overcome some other things. Again, deficiencies on the offensive line in the running game at times. But that team, if I look back at a team that I just think back on so fondly, it might be the 2021 team that I just think, man, that'll go down as one of my all-time favorite Cowboy football teams right up there with 2011. And the thing about 2021's team is the physicality that they played with was unlike anything I had seen in Stillwater up to that point. Uh, Four and five, respectively, 2013 and 2011. Not, again, based on accomplishment, but really the accomplishments against the expectations, the roster, the way it was built at the time. Um, I would say that 2011 was, you know, the first year that Oklahoma State felt like they should win the dang thing, and they nearly did. So that's why I go with that. And then my one honorable mention is going to be 2010. Uh, I think that was the first 10-win season under Mike Gundy uh, up to that point. So here's coaches. Uh, Number one was 2015. Number two was 2021. Number three was 2011. Number four was 2013. And number five was 2008. So some good shuffling around there. Coach, fantastic question. Thank you again. Here's one from Ryan at Ryan 305-54129. Who is out of eligibility on the D-line? And this is a crapshoot, but I took my best uh, shot at it. I went down and looked at, you know, who's used a COVID year, who's used an injury red shirt, who is a true red shirt. And what I came up with is that Nathan Latou and Anthony Goodlow are the two that I could confirm are out of eligibility. The two guys that I don't believe are out of eligibility that are also redshirt seniors are Cody Walterscheid and Colin Clay. And the Colin Clay one is interesting because if I'm reading this right, he has at least two, if not three more years of eligibility. Let me let me read this to you. At 2019, on 20 in 2019, goodness gracious, he was a freshman at Arkansas, played in 11 out of 12 games. He did not use a red shirt that year. However, he did not see any game action between 2020 and 2021 due to injury. So that's two full seasons he didn't play a snap. So one of those is an injury red shirt, right? The other one is a COVID year. <laughs> so in 2022, That was his first year back on the field, theoretically, as a redshirt sophomore, if you factor in the COVID year, plus an injury redshirt. Coming into this year, he's a a redshirt senior on the roster. This will be his third year on the field, which makes him a junior in theory, with a redshirt and a COVID year. So he's got, at least the way I'm reading this, three more years on the defensive line at Oklahoma State, which is just astounding. And I think I used Colin as like an excuse for if I get this wrong because it's a challenge. There is so many moving parts, and I think it's going to continue to be a mess up until, you know, the COVID kids uh, make their way out of the game. Um, Here's one from Jake W. at Jakers underscore W. If Dez doesn't get suspended and Kendall Hunter and Zach Robinson don't get hurt, does OSU go 12-0 in 2009? I don't think so. I I don't think we should forget how 
uh, mediocre some of those early Mike Gundy defenses were. I don't think twelve and zero was likely. I think ten and two was likely. Eleven and one even. Um, but I, I don't think that the re. I mean, here's the reality: Dez was suspended. Was Dez even suspended for the Houston game? If I think right, if I think back to it, he played in that game. I'll have to confirm that, but I believe Dez played in that game, and that was a true loss. Zach Robinson played in that game. Kendall Hunter played in that game. Des Bryant played in that game. And I will never forget the way I felt leaving that game 14 years ago in Boone Pickens Stadium, uh, feeling like, oh, boy, we're just never going to get over that hump. And then just a couple years later, they did. Jake, thanks for the question, man. Here's one from Bill Minat, at Bill My Geo Guy. Does OSU Athletics have a keeping it in the family problem? Outside of football, it seems like most assistants are alums and from the current coach's coaching tree. In a way, it's really cool. But does that risk the coaching staff just becoming an echo chamber? Bill, thanks for the question. I don't really see that. Um, I mean, I and I have a hard time of looking at, you know, some examples of where that's been proven. Do I think that Oklahoma State has a belief that you need to know Stillwater to be able to win big in Stillwater? Yes, I do believe that they think that. Um is it an exclusive thing? No. I look back to Brad Underwood. Um, no connection to Oklahoma State. I think he would have won big in Stillwater, but we know how that ended up. Um, I think it's difficult to look at the football program as Mike Gundy's entering his you know 18th year and 19th year in Stillwater. Um, I don't think it's fair to look at that program as an example of that because really, you know, there's not been a you know hallmark. You know, Mason Rudolph's your quarterback coach now. There really hasn't been that. I think if I were to look at it, it's wrestling and baseball that make the most sense to me. Now, if base if basketball goes out and hires Doug Gottlieb, then yes, I, I have questions about this stance and where it ends. Um, but the reality is I, I don't see it as a current problem. I do see it as a phil- philosophy that maybe OSU administrators believe you need to know Stillwater and know what OSU is like to win big in Stillwater. I don't even necessarily disagree with that as a premise, but I certainly don't think that it should be a disqualifier for a good candidate. Bill, great question. Kelsey Marsh at Marshlands 14. What is your power ranking of OSU teams heading into the 2023 to 2024 academic year? If I had to do this off the dome, which most of these are, anything that required research is not. But off the dome, I think that the best team in Stillwater is likely going to be the baseball team, if I had to really guess. (laughs) And I, I have concerns about it as a whole because if you look at football, basketball, softball, baseball really your four calling cards golf wrestling none of them are really projected to have a outstanding year I think softball probably takes the cake over baseball now that I'm thinking about it Kelly Maxwell the departure there is huge but their pitching staff should be great again um I I think that you could be in for another pretty mediocre to marginal type of year across the board unless football overperforms once again which as you know if you've listened to this podcast that I believe that's going to be the case so 
Um, that's how I would rank those. Um, you know, getting into, you know, track and field, golf, equestrian, probably not going to be the most qualified to uh, answer that for you. Colton McCorkle, at Colton underscore McCorkle. Moving forward after this year, who is OSU's main rival? I My vote is Tech, K-State, or Iowa State. Just for the simple fact that all four are ag schools, I'd like to at least see those three on the schedule every year. I couldn't agree more with that last premise you just made. What I will say, though, is like, I see this question posed a lot. I don't think you can just pick a rival. Those are kind of born organically, right? If you throw a trophy into the middle of it, does it really make it a rivalry? Like, don't Minnesota and, like, Wisconsin, like, that's a rivalry. Even though they're, you know, not necessarily, um, you know, in-state teams, that it's been a rivalry for a long time. Nebraska-Colorado is a rivalry. Oklahoma State and Texas Tech are really, to me, true rivals. Like, I do believe that that, like, thinking back to my childhood, there were three teams I did not like on the schedule, and it was OU, it was Texas, and it was Texas Tech. I would pick out of those, Texas Tech to be the most likely true rival where there's some history, there's some mutual disdain for the other, you know, the whole Xerox U thing. Um, even though Oklahoma State copied uh, everything from them except the winning part, um, I think that that's the most likely, uh, you know, vote is that Tech is the the likely rival, maybe the more organic one. Um, here's Steve Mason at Steve underscore Mason. How about some discussion of recent additions and changes in the OSU baseball coaching staff? We talked about that already. Um, you can refer back to my comments there. Um, I, I think it's two really solid hires. I think. Um, there are some other names that you may have also appreciated seeing, but I, I don't have an issue with either of these. Um, at Poketown06 says, are you going to regret recording tonight just before M. Smith commits tomorrow? And he starred out pretty much everything uh, to make it appear very cryptic. Um, no, I will not regret it as I will be in Fort Worth uh, for my brother's bachelor party. But the reality is uh, I'm thankful I waited a day to record so we could talk realignment and aliens. Uh, a couple more here at this whiskey life, two part questions, and I'll take it off the air. Should I bet a hundred dollars on OSU winning more than six and a half games this year? Also, which is better Coney Island or Curdy shack? And why is it definitely Coney Island? This is a fantastic question. And it's almost like this person knows me by asking this. Um, I did bet a hundred dollars on OSU winning more than six and a half games this year. So I would absolutely advocate for that. Um, and if you'd like me to place that bet for you, um, well, I don't know who you are, but um, that's not a bad idea. Let's just say that. Uh, and to the Coney Island or Curdy Shack question, I will just start by saying I love a Curdy probably more than most people should, but nothing beats Coney Island. I mean, you can get it any which way you want it, and to to me, that's important. There's some days I want a chili dog. There's some days I don't want a chili dog, and I want something a little lighter. Maybe throw some kraut on there. Maybe throw, um, you know, go Chicago dog style. I don't even know if I can do that at Coney, but I'm betting I can walk in there and Chicago it up. Um, Chicago dog me, if you will. And I feel like um, that's why I got to give the nod to Coney. And the last thing is the cheese is better. The cheese is better at Coney Island. It, the, the thinly shredded is great. And I just... You know, Curdy is great, but you get you get one thing there. 
And uh, for that reason, Chicago or Coney, Coney me up, baby. Um, a couple of other questions to wrap us up here. Uh, Brian Metcalf at Brian J Metcalf. Do we give Brett Yormark the Travis Ford contract if this week shapes up to benefit the Big Twelve? I'm waiting on one name to drop, and that's Oregon. And I'll give you another name. It's Washington. If either of those names drop in the next week, lifelong guarantee. Lifelong deal to Brett Yormark if he's able to pull that off because what that means is the Big 12 will have officially raided the Pac-12 and uh, we can all point and laugh at Stuart Mandel and um, his freezing cold takes over the last couple of years. Last question from Garth Still at Garth underscore Still. Thoughts on the rumors of Colorado coming into the conference? I think it would be cool to welcome them back. That's actually the only thing I don't think is cool about this. If I'm being honest, I, l- I do love that Colorado's coming back. I don't like that they contributed directly to the initial conference realignment drama back in the late 2000s. They uh, were an active participant in the attempted demise of the Big 12. And for that reason, I would have loved to see them um, up a creek without a paddle, so to say. Same with Nebraska. But now that we're in the landscape that we are, I would also bring Nebraska back. So I, I, I don't want to eat crow. I want to be able to point and laugh. That's the kind of guy I am. Lowbrow, you know, not a whole lot of character to me. That's the kind of thing that I want to laugh at at the end of the day is Nebraska and Colorado, even Missouri. You need us, but you can't have us. But ultimately, it benefits the conference and it benefits Oklahoma State because of that. So for that reason, I'm all for it. All right, wrapping up the mailbag. Uh, and really putting a bow on most of this week's episode. I just, a thank you to really everybody that's so engaged with the podcast. I mean, it's July 26th. There ain't nothing going on. And yet, you know, you guys are still here and helping me power through a a week in which I I miss my guy Dustin. But such is life. And again, you know, the moral of the story is thank you uh, to each of you for doing what you do to make this podcast fun, make it enjoyable, worth doing. I can sit here and stare into my mic and my laptop and my Twitter feed and see the questions coming through and just have a great time doing it each and every week. And um, I, I truly can't wait until football season rolls around. We're, we're a, literally one month away until football begins. I can't wait. I truly can't. Um, well, I said there would be talk of um, unexplainable aerial phenomena, UFOs, aliens, if you will. And uh, I'll, I'll live up to that end of the deal. I have been um, talking, not talking about it. I have been teasing it on the podcast as kind of a tongue-in-cheek joke over the last several weeks and months. And uh, people on Twitter have been poking me to say it. And um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I have I have mentioned in the past without giving many specifics that I have had an encounter if you will with a UFO and a UAP back when this happened they were UFOs to me the new acronym had not been released officially yet um but I have had one and uh I I haven't asked the other person that I was with if it was cool to talk about this but Dear friend of mine, who is additionally a witness in this, and I'll start by saying there was no alcohol involved. 
there was no um, substances of any kind involved. We were in high school at the time, and um, I'll just set the stage <laughs> if you guys would like, if you really would like me to tell this story about the UFO that I saw when I was 17 years old. Uh, I'm a 28-year-old man now, and to this day, uh, one of the more uh, burned-in-my-brain things I've ever seen in my life. So, we're driving down the road. It is dusk in Wichita, Kansas, probably 8.30 at night. And uh, if you know Wichita, it's really kind of a a grid system uh, in terms of the way the roads work. And it's north, south, east, west, and really not much divergence when you get out into the suburbs, which is where we lived. And so, um, we're driving through west Wichita. And again, it's 8.30 at night. The sun is not all the way down. But it is a summer night, and it's, you know, it's pretty dark. Maybe it's closer to 9 o'clock. Regardless, it was dark enough to where I couldn't see everything, but I saw enough. (laughs) So we're driving down the road, and there's an open field out to our left. It's actually a collection of baseball fields, West Urban, if anybody, you know, any Wichitans listen to the podcast and know what I'm referring to. But... um, we're driving down the road, headed south, and um, I looked out to my, that would have been my east, out to my, out to the left, looking out east, and about 500 feet off the ground, there's a, a very stereotypical um, circular uh, saucer-shaped object, and it was high enough to where we couldn't really see the entire thing. We could really just see up to the bottom of it. But it had eight bright glowing orange lights and they were circular. And as we were driving, I thought that maybe my eyes were playing a trick on me because we were moving, but I couldn't tell if the object we were looking at was moving. And I asked my buddy, I said, hey, do you see that? And he kind of caught an eye of it and was like, yeah, that's that's pretty weird looking. And so... We kept going a little bit, kept going, and still had this, like, is that moving or is it not? And your blood starts to (laughs) race a little bit at that point because it's like, what are you looking at? And so I said, hey, let's let's stop, let's turn around, and let's just park in the parking lot uh, right here at the Brahms and uh, see if we can confirm that that's not moving because if that's not moving, it's not a helicopter. And if it's not a helicopter and it's not moving, I don't know what else it is. And so we stop. And it's not moving. It is not moving at all. It's not rotating. It's not making a sound. And our minds are a little bit blown. And that's not really where this gets weird. Where it gets weird is that we get back in the car and we start driving and we want to get a better look at this thing. We want to get to a point where we can see the entire thing, maybe catch some better lighting. And all of a sudden, As we get back in the car and start moving, I saw this with my own eyes. It is gone over the horizon, moving south as fast as I can snap my fingers like that. I watched it go, and from as quickly as I could move my head with it, it was out of my vision and gone over the horizon. Traveled, and I know Wichita, had to have traveled a a mile and a half within a split second. out of my vision and it's it's clear like there's not a whole lot of trees in Wichita to block my vision so to this day the most wild thing I've ever witnessed um 
and definitely not necessarily saying I believe in little green men. I don't know if I believe in, um, you know, the, the gray people, uh, I think is one of the common theories. Um, ask me someday about time travel and interdimensional um, physics, and maybe that's more likely. I don't know. I leave you with that. I've told the UFO story. You can get into, uh, you know, next week as we welcome football news back and we don't have to waste time on things like that. Um, you can ask me any questions about it. Grill me. Challenge me. I- I'm here to talk. If you're not already, you can follow us at Feels Like 45 Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Threads if you're still using it. I don't know anybody that's using it. You can follow Dustin at DustRagoo. You can follow me at Cade Webb, and I'll announce our spinoff podcast dedicated to UAPs and UFOs next week. Just kidding. We'll get back to football and much more next week. We will talk to you guys then. I'll have a great weekend in Fort Worth. We'll welcome Dustin back to the uh, this part of North America. And again, my last call to action, send me your Fort Worth Rex. We need a great weekend out in Fort Worth. See you guys back here next week. Go Pokes.